Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Paranormal Paradigm podcast. Apologies that this one is a little late, but sometimes life tends to take over. And me and the wife have been looking at putting our house on the market and looking at moving. And uh, that's taken up a bit of our time, getting the house uh, presentable for potential buyers and, you know, getting all of our affairs in order for that. So apologies again that this is a bit late. Um, Also, I was thinking, you know, we've got to episode 21 now. And unless, you know, any of you listeners have watched my interviews on other podcasts or on other shows, you're not really going to know that much about myself and my theories and why I'm into the paranormal, besides the brief interview um, that that me and Ben did, you know, back for the pilot episode. Um, and apologies if I do kind of, you know, repeat anything during this show that, uh, that you have heard before. But uh, I thought it would be a good idea, you know, just to kind of go through my own you know, my own experiences, my own theories on what spirits are. Um, I'm even going to touch on the UFO experience that I had, which, you know, I may have brought up several times before, but I'll I'll go into a bit more detail during this episode. Um, So yeah, I just thought, you know, a bit of a show about myself. Um, It's been a bit hectic lately, and it's nice to just sit down and collect my thoughts and spill spill the beans over over this episode so um i hope you enjoy it anyway and it probably won't be as long as our normal episode so it'll be it'll be shorter than an hour but action-packed nonetheless so uh, let's crack on so i mean really uh, my my main interest in the paranormal came about from a very young age i um i grew up in a masonette with my parents and my brother my little brother wasn't born till i was about four so there was you know a couple of experiences that i can vaguely remember around that time but most of it was when I was a a little bit older so my brother would have been there as well and um, for those that don't know what a masonette is uh, we had the top floor and um, there was an old couple that used to live live below us and the stairs and this this is important the stairs uh, our stairs were accessed through a private door so downstairs couldn't get up there Um, you needed a key in order to get through the stairs uh, and my mum used to have a, a child gate at the top of the stairs to stop me and my brother, you know, having an accident. And quite regularly, she would forget to lock it, um, or it would, you know, come undone. And it would slam really loudly several times. And as if, you know, a, a breeze was was, was blowing, a very strong breeze, you know, it used to slam with force. Uh, I was about six or seven at the time, and it used to, you know, scare me because it was loud banging. And I remember the once I asked my mum, what was that? Why is it doing that? And she said, oh, it's just my nan telling me to shut the gate. So being a young child as I was, I expected to see an old lady walk into the room, her nan. And she never did. She never materialised. And it wasn't until I was older that I realised that at the time her nan had died and my mum was referring to her as a spirit. So that used to happen quite a lot. And my dad would regularly put me to bed and forget to turn my mobile on. So my mum would make him go back and, and turn my mobile on to make me sleep better. And when he got into the room, the mobile was always turned on, as if, I guess, my mum's nan had been watching over me and making sure that I was sleeping soundly and doing my dad's job for him. And uh, so we had a lot of goings on there. One of the one of the main ones that sticks out to me was my mum used to have ornaments in her living room. And the ornaments... She'd have a large vase, a medium vase, and a smaller vase. They're all like the same style. They must have come as a set. And my mum would have them just like that on the fireplace. So large, medium, and small. 
And apparently when her nan was alive, she she would argue all the time with with my mum that she should move the vases around. You know, she should have one on the on the fireplace, one on the windowsill. But my mum used to argue back that it was her it was her house and that's how she wanted it. And quite regularly, you know, I remember at least three or four times, we would come back from being out, we'd gone to see uh, you know, family friends or we'd gone out for a meal, and we would come back to find the vases exactly how my mum's nan would want them. And I remember one distinct time, my mum just standing in the middle of the living room and shouting at the top of her voice, uh, something along the lines of, will you just leave them alone? It's my house. And again, I remember kind of looking around thinking, who's she shouting at? You know, as a, a, as a young child, I would only really be used to my mum shouting at me. So to see her shouting at this invisible force... Um, was really, really interesting. It was scary, but it, it was interesting as well. And um, before I move on from, from, from this house, there was uh, another story that, that's always interested me and intrigued me. And it was before um, my mum's nan had died, my mum had got a, uh, a job. It must have been her first job. And because her, she was close to her nan, she brought her nan a pair of black leather gloves, um, which does a present. And not long after, her nan died. So my mum thought, you know, out of respect, I'll, I'll wear them to the um, to, to her funeral. So she, she'd got them back from her, you know, uh, before the funeral. She'd left them next to her bed. And when she woke up on the morning of the funeral and she was looking for the gloves to put them on, she couldn't find them. And she couldn't find them anywhere. Um... My mum and my dad searched searched the place high and low and couldn't find the gloves. My mum was very upset, you know, she wanted to wear these to, to her nan's funeral. She just couldn't find them, and she never has. Um, she, We've moved house since then. We moved house um, when I was about eight, and she's never found the gloves ever again, and she believes that her nan came back and took them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was an interesting place to grow up in, but then we moved, and... We moved to a house this time, and it wasn't that far away. I mean, probably less than a mile, really, um, up the road. And when we moved to this place, I think it was quite a quick sale. Uh, I mean, like, like I said, I was eight. I remember my granddad picking me up from school and saying, we're not going back to your old house, we're going to your new house. And I didn't know much, I didn't know what was going on. So the first time I knew that we were moving was when I left school and went to this new house. Anyway, my mum and dad, like I said, because it was a quick sale, I think they 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 didn't tell the family till it had all gone through. And my dad's dad this time, so my dad's side of the family, my granddad, um, came to visit the house and couldn't believe it. And it was the house that he was born in, the very house he was born in. And my dad didn't have a clue. None of us did. Um, and he came up. He said, well, I, I knew you were in that road, but I didn't know it was this house. So the first time my granddad went up there, he kind of sat, just sat there staring around and you could tell he was reminiscing about, you know, I guess him growing up in that house. And it's interesting that we've never really had activity from my mum's nan in that house. And my mum believes it's because she's, um, well, she's too scared to step on, you know, my dad's family's toes, I guess. So she's she's kind of left us to it now. We're in dad's family's house and that that's respectful. And that's how my mum sees it. So my granddad's sister, my dad's auntie, she um, she passed away when I was about, I would have been about 10, I guess. So we hadn't lived in that house long. And as you do, you know, kind of 
the individual's possessions get split between the family. And my mum got some candle holders from Beryl's place. And she'd put them on the table and that's where they lived. And quite regularly, for about a year or so after we'd got them, you'd hear rattling. And at the time, my brother had a gerbil and we would always think it was the gerbil in the cage on his wheel. But the one time my mum actually caught the the candle holders rattling and moving across the, the table. And the candle holders, they were made of glass and they were, they were linked together by like a piece of metal. So they were moving as one across the table and that's what the rattling was. And it carried on for about 10 seconds or so after my mum had noticed it and then they just, they came to a stop. Now, my dad's auntie also had a very distinct smell, shall we say. She was a dinner lady at a school. So she always used to smell of cheap perfume and chip grease, chip fat. It was a very weird smell, not that pleasant. Um, and we smell that regularly, you know, and it's always downstairs. So you'd come downstairs after after waking up early in the morning and you'll smell it. And we just treat that as, you know, hi, Beryl. We say hello and we just get on with our day. So we're very, very sure that she's hanging around and we think that's why my um, my mum's nan isn't isn't really bothering us anymore. So yeah, growing up with that going on was always very very interesting, and we'd always get told ghost stories from our nans and granddads who um, who were firm believers as well. And I used to watch there used to be a program called Strange but True on. I think it was hosted by Michael Parkinson. It used to scare scare the hell out of me before I go to bed used to read Goosebumps, you know, all that kind of thing. So I was always into that that, that scary type of stuff. Um, but then as you get older, you kind of forget about all that and you concentrate on passing exams. You concentrate on getting a job and getting a girlfriend. And some of your passion kind of, you know, falls by the wayside and you forget about it and you don't have time to, to really put your energy into it anymore. And that's what happened with me. And I had a passing interest in, in it still, but not as strong um, and then I had a really bad rugby accident playing playing a game of rugby and ended up having a six hour operation on my knee. And that put me out of action um, in, in all shapes and forms. You know, I was basically, I think I was wheelchair bound for about three months. My brother used to come and take me downtown once every couple of days just to give me fresh air. And uh, it was quite depressing actually. But one thing that came out of it, because I literally couldn't do anything really for myself. I'd just sit there uh, watching YouTube and I'd be watching things like Ancient Aliens and that kind of kick-started the passion again. You know, Ancient Aliens, I'd always had had a love for UFOs and aliens and to this day I still do and I often say that my, I, I think I, my knowledge base is actually stronger when it comes to UFOs and, and, and the alien field than it is in the paranormal. It's strange how I've kind of fallen into the into the paranormal field, really. Um, but it is all linked, which I'll, I'll come on to shortly. So I kind of got into ancient aliens and stuff like that, and it was always interesting, uh, and it seemed to fill a hole for me. It seemed to, you know, I'd never really believed in God. I'd read the Bible a couple of times because of school, but it just never really struck home with me. And then ancient aliens rang the bell. It made me hang on a minute, you know. Maybe Bible is talking about extraterrestrials, and 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 it seemed to just you know fill more holes and and explain more 
things than, than the Bible did and the, the belief in, in a God, I guess, as religions teach it. So got into that. And as you know, you can't really watch that type of video on YouTube before going onto one thing and onto another thing and onto another. And before you know it, you're watching 9-11 conspiracy videos and and you're lapping it up. And, and that's kind of how it went for me. And it really reignited my passion for it. And around that time, I think it was, I had my knee operation and we were kind of, I was getting back into it. And me and my brother had been training and we were just coming back home. We were just driving up through a country lane that connects one town to, to our hometown. And this country lane's about, I don't know, four miles, three or four miles. And for our, you know anyone that's local to me, uh, the place is Romsley, if that means anything to you. And when you get to the top of, of, of Romsley, you can see for miles, you can see into Birmingham, you know, the second city of, um, of, of England. It's, it, it's a vast open space that's just surrounded with farm fields, really, and the odd farmhouse dotted around. And there are some domestic houses, but about 90% of the landscape is just fields. Now, when you kind of start up this lane, the way we were going, the lane runs parallel with the motorway, the M5. And you know the motorway's there because you can you can hear the traffic on you know on a, when you if you've got your window open you can see the lights um, of the road and the lights of the cars and you know it's there. But as you go further up the lane, the motorway kind of drifts away from you and there becomes more of a a gap between you and the motorway, just filled with fields. So normally you kind of lose sight of the motorway. As we were going up this night, the light wasn't going away. There seemed to be a persistent light in the corner of my eye. And I remember saying to my brother, what is that? You know, couldn't really hear anything at the time. Um, wasn't sure what it was. As we get higher and higher up, up to the top of, of Romsley, um, and surprisingly it was quiet. It was about quarter to 10-ish. And it is a country lane, but there are, like I say, there are houses and there, there are a couple of pubs along there. So it's, it can be quite a busy lane. And it was surprising that we hadn't passed anybody and nobody had passed us. And then as we got to the top, this light all of a sudden became a craft as it came out from behind the trees. And the craft, I originally thought was rectangular, but it was actually triangular with two big lights on the back of each corner. Um, nothing in the middle, nothing at the front, just the back corners, big, big bright white lights. Um, and this triangular craft, I would say, was about the size of half a football pitch. And it was just silent, absolutely silent. So I've pulled over, turned my engine off, just got the hazards going, and we couldn't hear a thing. And this craft was about, I'd say, a 1,000 feet away and about a 1,000 feet up in the air. And you can hear a plane at 20,000 feet, but we couldn't hear a single thing from this craft. Um, it was jet black, and the only way we could really tell the shape was because it blocked out the sky, if that makes sense. And it, the, like I say, the thing that scared us the most was the, the silence, the sheer silence of that thing. And it was cruising as well, really slowly. So if I would have just carried on driving 30 miles an hour, I would have left that thing behind. It was going so slow, um, no noise. So God knows how it was powered or how it was even moving. Um, after about five minutes or so, it eventually disappeared behind some trees again. So we decided to, you know, start up the car and, and, and get home. But during the whole experience, um, both my brother and I 
burst out crying. You know, we were crying like big babies. And to this day, we don't know why. You know, yes, we were scared. We were, In fact, we were petrified, you know. Um, what was this thing? It, it was the fear of the unknown, really. And people have said, oh, why didn't you take a picture? And, you know, I often think this myself. People claim to have seen a UFO or a ghost, and everybody has a camera on them, on them these days, a high-quality camera in, in, in the form of a smartphone. But not once during that five-minute spell did it occur to me or my brother to pull the phone out and take a picture of this thing. It just never occurred to us. Now, I've heard people say, oh, well, that that's potentially the craft that's doing that to you. It's having an effect on you. Maybe. I'm, I'm not so sure. I think we were just so dumbfounded by what we were seeing. We were so in awe that we couldn't really think about anything else other than keeping our eyes glued to this craft, just really slowly moving across the skyline, you know, practically right in front of our noses. Um... So eventually, as I say, it disappeared and we headed home. And when we got home, we were still visibly shook up. And I remember my mum asking what was the matter. Had we been in an accident? And I, I told her what we'd seen. Now, I don't know if it's the boy who cried wolf kind of thing, but I'm really glad that my brother was with me because my brother has actually been there for several interesting paranormal experiences throughout our lives we've, we've experienced together. But for some reason, he's not that bothered by it. He's not that interested. He doesn't read up on it. Uh, he never really starts any discussions about it with me. Um, but I was just glad he was there because when my mum looked at me as if to say, really? My brother backed me up and kind of said, no, look, we 100% experienced that. We definitely saw it. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> it was. Uh, it took a while for us to get to sleep that night. We used to share a bedroom and we lay there talking for um, a long, long time about that. And um, that kind of made me think, okay, you know, I've kind of got back into this now. I've opened my mind back up to, to paranormal and, 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 and to UFOs and now I've seen one. What, what does that mean? You know, do you have to open your mind up in order to see one? I, I wasn't sure at the time. So the next day I put out the feelers and, and started searching the internet to see if anybody else had reported what we'd seen. And we hadn't. No, nobody had. The closest there was was a thing called the Dudley Dorito. So Dudley's our nearest town. And um, obviously Dorito being the triangular crisp. And um, But I think it was about 10 years before our sighting, so early 2000s, people, had, uh, hundreds of people had witnessed the Dudley Dorito um, kind of going from town to town in the sky. And I'm sure there's several books being written on it, um, but not, nothing really matched what we'd seen. I believe the Dudley Dorito had a light in the middle of the craft. And as I say, it was about a decade or so before, but nothing really matched what we'd seen the night before. And there were there are residential areas where we were, and I was very surprised that nobody else had reported it. So I contacted a guy called Antonio Paris, who I don't really, you know, I haven't really looked into him lately, but at the time, he was on Twitter and he was a uh, UFO investigator. So I contacted him. He was based in America and he put me in touch with his UK-based investigator, a guy called Lawrence, who was based in Scotland. So for the people that don't live in the UK, yes, it's a small country. Yes, there are American states bigger than the UK. But if you grow up in the UK, Scotland is far away. Uh, I, used to, I used to have a, an American colleague that I used to work with and she would quite often laugh that I would um, 
get a bit moody if I had to drive two hours somewhere. And she would say, I drive two hours just to go to the shop. But, you know, when you grow up in a, in a small country, um, you have a different perspective. So Scotland is quite far away. So we had uh, a month or so of uh, back and forwards via Skype and via telephone. Uh, he interviewed my brother. I sent him some drawings. And, um, you know, we, we formed a bit of a relationship over it. And he would interview me and ask me questions and double check everything that I'd said as part of his case file. And then the one day we were talking on Skype and I mentioned to him, you know, that I couldn't talk for long because I'd had to, I had a, a lecture that I was going to. It was a lecture on 9-11 at my local, it was at Boofog. If you remember Dave Hodron from a few episodes back, I, um, I was going to Boofog. It was the first time I'd been there and I'd just found out that this group was near me. So I thought it was a great opportunity to go and, you know, start looking into it on a local level. Um, so I said, I've got a lecture, so I can't be long. And Lawrence said, that's fine. I've got somewhere to be too. And basically what we found out over the, over the course of that very short interview was he's what his sister was married to a guy from Birmingham and had got him tickets to this nine 11 lecture, knowing he was interested in it. And he, you know, he was down visiting his sister. So his his brother-in-law was going to take him to this lecture and lo and behold, after a month or so of talking with this guy who lives 500-odd miles away, um, I'm stood at the bar having a pint with him. And I just could not believe it. And people talk about synchronicity. And to me, that is that is synchronicity. You know, I, I kind of got into field. Next was to experience something myself with my phone. And the next step is, you know, you start following a certain path that you feel you're being pushed down in, in terms of research and experiences just to keep you on that path and just to just to let you know a little wink a little nod to let you know that you're going in the right direction certain things happen and i got to meet lawrence at a bar at a 9-11 lecture in birmingham i just couldn't believe it so i went to Boofog and then i you know kind of kept going because i had some really good events there and i got talking to, to dave hodrian and eventually that's how i got to do my presentations my lectures because Dave caught wind that I was a, a paranormal investigator and he asked if I would do a, a talk there and, and give a talk about um, ghosts just to kind of break up the monotony of, of UFOs and stuff. So I said, yeah, sure, you know, that, that, that's fine. So I went and gave, gave a talk and then people said, oh, you should put this in a book. So I released a book. And I guess what I'm trying to say is this is how these things happen. This is synchronicity for me. And I know a lot of people say it's coincidence or you've made it happen. And that's true. But I did make it happen, but I do believe that you're put in certain situations, in certain places, at the right time, and you have to make the best of it. And not everything's great, not everything's positive. Sometimes you're put into negative situations, and bad things happen to you. And I think, you know, there's lessons to be learned from that as well. So there's always lessons to be learned. But I genuinely believe that the universe or consciousness, collective consciousness, is pushing us down this path. And you have to look out for signs. And as I say, the nods and the winks to let you know that you're on the right path. And I guess sometimes if you have the negative experience, it's maybe telling you that you're deviating from that path and you should probably correct yourself and get back on the path. So that was really the the, the kickstart for me, experiencing that UFO, understanding what synchronicities were. And I, I really got back into it. My passion was reignited. And then my um, my now wife, Sally, went and got me tickets to a ghost hunt. We were going to go on an investigation. And it was at, it was in Dudley, and it was at Dudley Castle. 
So anyone familiar with Dudley, we have a zoo. Not the best, <laughs> it must be told. But uh, the castle there is pretty good. I mean, it stands right up on the hill. There's not much left of it now, but when they light it up, and if you're driving through the town on, an, on a night and it's all lit up, it's, it's a fantastic um, a fantastic thing to see. And those familiar with Most Haunted will know that they did a live show there. Apparently, they had a lot of things happening, a lot of things going on. Since proved to be fake, but um, I'm sure you guys know my, my, my thoughts and feelings on, on Most Haunted and TV shows like that now. Um, so we went to this ghost hunt. It wasn't cheap. Um, it was a birthday present from my wife. She's not really into this, but she came along with me. So um, for those that have been on ghost hunts, particularly with the larger uh, event organisers, the, the, the big franchised groups that I, that I often criticise, um, we met in a, in, a, in a pub and we then made, uh, made a short walk to, to Dudley Castle. And we had a brief chat. There was about 30 of us. We had a brief chat, a brief introduction to the kit. And at the time, I'd watched Most Haunted and I'd watched stuff like that. But this was really my first hands-on go at doing something like this. So I was really intrigued. I was really interested. And I was a bit naive. You know, I was looking at the kit thinking, well, what is it? What does it do? And um, eventually, finally, you know, I was kind of bite, you know, chomping at the bit to, to, to start. They finally um, split us into groups and off we went. We would have we had a medium with us. Um, we had our, our equipment that we could use. You know, there was a table full, and you could just pick what you want. So there was um, K two meters, EVP recorders, uh, dowsing rods, crystals, all the usual stuff that that you're probably used to if you go on these investigations. And we went round various locations, various areas of the of the castle. We kind of went into the zoo a little bit, but mainly stayed in the castle grounds. And it was interesting. I mean, I remember there was a time where we had, what, there was about four of us because we could split up and go where we want. And we had what felt like really small pebbles or rocks being thrown at us. And um, we had a quick look around, had a walk around, couldn't really find anything. Uh, so that was interesting. One thing that really stood out to me, um, and I kept mentioning to, to my wife on the way home, was the medium. So I am a believer in mediums. I do believe that people have these abilities. But the, for me, the medium, and particularly I've seen mediums on, on, on several of these events now, and, I, and even if they're, you know, they might be really kind of well-intended, that, that they, they are real, they are mediums, um, but I genuinely believe that they're, they're there just to push you, to push you into feeling certain things and to, and to enjoying yourself, to, to, to make sure that you feel you've had your money's worth. And that's what we had that night. You know, she would tell us what to see. She would tell us who was standing there. There's a soldier standing there, you know, and you're in a castle. So you think, well, yeah, there's going to be a soldier. Um, there's a monk. Well, we were in the chapel at the time. So, well, yeah, there's going to be a monk. And, it, you know, she, she would plant things in your mind. So she would say, oh, it's very cold when we get in here. And then 10 minutes later, people were complaining they were cold and they were attributing that to paranormal activity. And I was kind of shaking my head in the dark in the corner of this room like I can't believe that really but that that was a regular thing and I've been on several of these big franchised events since and they're all pretty much the same so I, I kept going on them because I was addicted and I, I wanted to you know experience something and every time you do you want to experience more it is a bit of an addiction and I finally found a group um called seventh sense who I am part of now and that was really the the resting place for me you know it, they conducted themselves in a much better manner 
uh, a manner that I enjoyed being part of. They didn't really force your hand. They didn't tell you how to feel. They they kind of they let you experience it. And then when you did and you reported it to them, they would write it down. And at the end of the night, they would give any feedback, you know, over any previous investigations where people had felt how you had felt. Or um, if you'd been feeling a particular way, they would reveal a part of the, the building's history that might relate to why you were feeling like that. What I found with the other groups were they would tell you that first, could plant it subconsciously. And that never really you know, stood right with me. So I enjoyed how these guys did it. And that was it then. I kept going with those guys and I was paying to go on events. And they eventually said, you know, look, you're pretty much part of the team. You, you, you keep coming. We can't get rid of you. Here's a hoodie. You're part of the team. And I thought that was great. It really made my um, my day at the time. And I was well, well happy about that. And um, so that was kind of the start of my investigative career, I guess. Um, so, yeah. Around that time, I was looking into the nature of reality and how we perceive the world. I'm just going to have a quick drink. That's better. Um, I was looking into the nature of reality and how we perceive the world, and I was getting um, getting into a guy called David Icke. Now, he splits people. You know, people love him, people hate him, people think he's a madman, people think he's a genius. I have no real opinion on that. He tells me some things that have proved to be true and he seems very informative about some stuff and I have been to see him several times. I've read some of his books and there are other things he says that he, you know, he loses me a little bit and I can't really get my head around it and I can't really agree with it and there's not really any substantial proof to prove what he's talking about. But when it came to the nature of reality and, and the perception of the world, that really stood out to me and that really made me think, wow, you know, the, the that, that is it, you know, as I say, ancient aliens seem to fill a hole for me um, in terms of history and in terms of, because I did archaeology at college and I could never really understand, you know, I'm sure that things weren't built like that and they weren't, some of these temples weren't built with just a, a, a you know, a, a hammer and a small chisel. They must have had some kind of help or some kind of advanced technology that we're not sure about. And ancient aliens... And the ancient astronaut theory kind of filled that hole for me. And then the nature of reality seemed to fill the rest of it. You know, it, there was a gap left. And 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 the I guess the, the perception of the world and how we experience it and why we experience it really just kind of put everything together for me. And so I started to research it myself. You know, I didn't just watch David Icke. I went away and did my own research. And, you know, we, we I got talking with like-minded people. And around that time, as I say, I'd started going on regular ghost hunts now with, with with Seventh Sense. You know, we were having one a month, sometimes two a month, and I was loving them. But I was trying to think, you know, why can't we see these ghosts? What are ghosts? What are they? And when I started to put my research into the nature of reality and the perception of the world next to my paranormal investigations, there was kind of like a spark. You know, the light bulb above my head kind of thing went off. And I thought, ah, okay, maybe this is linked. Maybe this is connected. And that pushed me down the route of exploring that and, and, and exploring how they how they are connected. So when it comes to the nature of reality and perception, we perceive and we can see about 0.05% of the light spectrum. And that's what we call visible light. You know, we have uh, X-ray, ultraviolet, infrared that we can't, we can't see with the human eye. 
We have instruments that allow us to, so X-ray machines, ultraviolet torches, infrared cameras, you know, kind of thermal imaging cameras. That allows us to see into these into these spectrums, but with the human eye, the naked human eye, we just can't. And I, I, when you read that figure, 0.05%. So wherever you are now listening to this, just have a look around and try and imagine that there's roughly 99.95% existing around you now that you cannot interact with, you cannot see, you cannot feel, you cannot hear, because it is all outside of our visible light, our light spectrum. Now, how interesting is that? Now, if you're like me, you might have just had goosebumps or, you know, you might have thought, wow, that that was a wow moment for me. And so when you go on these paranormal investigations and you hear knocking or you see shadows or, you know, some people are hearing it and other people's aren't, people aren't, then it made me think, well, maybe these things are existing in the 99.95% that we can't interact with. So that pushed me further down exploring this theory. And, you know, if you think everything in the world is is ultimately frequencies vibrating to... Um, uh, to an energy vibrating. It's basically en- atoms, energy vibrating to a particular frequency. And we've all seen the cymatics things, you know, where they put sand on a table, vibrate it to a particular frequency, and it forms a pretty pattern. They change the frequency, and the pattern changes, and there's, you know, another symmetrical pattern. And I think that's what's going on in the universe. We're all vibrating to a frequency and forming what we're seeing, you know. So I'm vibrating to a frequency which makes me how I am. The, the laptop that is in front of me is a bunch of atoms vibrating to a frequency that gives it its shape and its form. And the frequencies are what enable us to connect with, with things. So we, you know, these fre- our brain is a, a point of attention and like a radio. I always use the analogy of a radio. And we tune the radio in or our brain into particular frequencies. So when we observe something we're tuning in to that frequency. The frequency is coming into our brain and we're decoding it using our ears and our eyes and we are seeing that point of attention, that that frequency range, and we are seeing the object that it is vibrating to. So if anyone's confused by this, don't worry. Um, Sometimes I confuse myself and, you know, it's all there to look into and if you agree with me or not, it would be great to put so in the comments, maybe drop me an email, drop me a line, and give me your thoughts on this, um, whether you agree or not, and, and where where I could be wrong or where I'm right. So I believed that, or I, I do believe that when we are seeing the paranormal, what we are seeing is frequencies that we can't usually um, interpret or, I guess, decode. So to go back to my radio analogy, if you're listening to Radio 1, Radio 2 is still there. You're just not tuning into it. It's all around. You're just not tuning in. When you do change the dial and tune into Radio 2, that doesn't mean that Radio 1 is no longer there. It is still there. But you've just changed the dial. So now you're not tuning into it. Now, if you look into mediums and psychics, it's possible that they have the ability to listen to both radio stations at the same time. Now, when you've been driving in your car, you might have had um, your radio mess up a little bit and you get two kind of things together where you hear both songs at the same time muddled up and then all of a sudden about a mile down the road it corrects itself and you're back to just listening to the one song so what's happened there is the frequencies have have interconnected they're playing up with each other and then it corrects itself 
So is it possible that when we are seeing a ghost or a Bigfoot or a UFO, what's happening is the frequencies that we are decoding, our brain, our radio, has for a brief second malfunctioned. And what you're seeing is frequencies that you wouldn't normally be able to see. You know, frequencies, airwaves that you wouldn't normally be able to receive. You, you now are. And people often say the ghost just disappeared before my eyes or Bigfoot went behind a tree, but he didn't come out the other side. Now, with this theory, it's possible that Bigfoot did come out the other side. Your radio has just fixed itself, corrected itself, and now you can't see him. He's still there. You just can't see him. He's now back in that 99.95% of the light spectrum that you just can't see. And I often use another analogy of living in a block of flats. If we live in a block, in a block of flats, we're on one floor and we're in the five-sense reality. We can see, we can taste, we can touch, um, but ultimately we're restricted. We're restricted by this biological vessel. Um, and then above us, you might have the spirits and below us, you might have aliens and cryptids are on the top floor. And you're ultimately living and existing on different levels. And you know that they're around you because you hear them scraping the furniture above you or they're playing the music below you. And you might occasionally cross paths as, you, as you're going into the elevator. But ultimately, you can't interact with them because you're on different floors or you're on different frequencies. And that's what I think is going on. So a theory that I'm kind of exploring at the moment is, is it possible that once you strip away the nature of reality and, and, and this holographic world, um, and you just get down to the, the coding of the universe, is it possible that all paranormal phenomena is the same piece of coding? But what we're doing is we're forcing our own belief system and our own expectations onto this piece of coding. And therefore, we're manifesting what we want to see. So if you're religious, you will always see the Virgin Mary. If you want to go and look for Bigfoot, chances are you'll see him, you'll hear him, you'll experience him. If you want to go ghost hunting and you believe in it, you will experience paranormal activity. It will happen. And I think what that is, is we're just forcing our own beliefs and our own expectations onto this piece of coding. So all of that paranormal phenomena, even UFOs and aliens, all of that paranormal phenomena is the same piece of coding, but each person, each individual person, experiences it differently depending on where they are in their life at the time, what they want to see, what their beliefs are. And that's an interesting concept, and I'm... Like I say, I'm exploring it at the moment and there are a few holes and like before, anybody that has anything to say on this, please do get in contact. I'd love nothing more than to have a, you know, a, a, a deep discussion with, with anyone about this because um, it's always great to, you know, hear and see how other people think and, and there's always things to be learned from having discussions like that. Um, but yeah, so if that's what's really going on and pa the paranormal phenomena is all the same thing, then it is connected. It would mean that aliens are interdimensional. It would mean that Bigfoot is interdimensional. We're ultimately interdimensional. Um, and if they're all existing, if we're all existing here in the, you know, kind of in this one world, just on different floors, then that's how people can interact. You know, that's how we do experience the paranormal and we do see Bigfoot and we do see UFOs because we're all inhabiting the same world, the same universe, just on different frequency levels. And of course, we use tools like uh, the K2 meter and EVP recorders to, to, to pick this up, um, to, to pick up 
frequencies and to see frequencies such as the thermal imaging camera, the infrared camera, um, to see things that we can't see with our naked eyes and we can't hear with our own ears. And that just further backs up the theory, really, that, that these things are operating on, on different frequencies. And to go a little bit deeper, you know, we are, in, in my opinion, we are all just consciousness um, existing in this universe. We are all just one consciousness. But we're trapped within this biological vessel and therefore we're trapped within the five sense reality. We can't vibrate on these frequencies that these, that these spirits do, for example, unless you have a talent such as a medium or a psychic. And I think once the biological vessel withers and dies, as anything biological does, the consciousness is released and it's released to now be able to alternate on whatever frequency it likes. And I think that's when we're discussing spirits and, and we're, we're interacting with them. I think that's what we are interacting with, a form of consciousness, a, a, an energy point, a focus of energy uh, in that space and time that just happens to have come into our frequency range in order to interact with us. And if they don't quite come into our range, we can always capture it with the equipment that I just met, mentioned, you know, the, the infrared camera or stuff like that. And I mean, the infrared is interesting because when you think that certain animals like reptiles or cats or dogs can see outside of our range and they can see different things to us, so the next time your dog is sat staring, growling at the corner of the room and you think there's nothing there, maybe there is. Maybe your dog is tuning into a frequency that you can't quite tune into and they're having an, <laughs> an experience that you know, you're, you'd probably be jealous of if you were into the paranormal. So really that's a, a, a brief overview of, of my timeline really from being a youngster when I, I first experienced the paranormal and... Um, my UFO experience, getting into into a group and and you know making a great bunch of friends and going to fascinating, interesting places that I've previously discussed with with Ben when we've discussed our experiences, right up to kind of you know exploring the the, the nature of reality, linking it together, um, putting putting these thoughts down in my book, and um, really it, it's ongoing. You know, nothing is set in stone, and in a year something might happen or an experience might happen or I might think of a theory that blows my current thought process out of the window. And that's important. We shouldn't get a theory and make, make the evidence fit the theory. That should never be the case. We should always have a loose theory. You know, it, it's, it's never set in stone. And if a piece of evidence or an experience or a thought takes you away from that theory, don't be scared. You know, don't be kind of, I guess, precious of your theory, just let it happen. And it might take you somewhere else. And you might leave your previous theory behind, your previous research behind. And you, it might put you onto a new path. And, you know, you can take some stuff with you, some experiences and some thoughts, but, you know, it might take you in a different direction. And I know of some people, and I know that there are people that, that don't like that. that you know, they, 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 they have a, a theory or they have a belief system and they're adamant to make everything fit that belief system. Even down to skeptics, they're exactly the same. They will go on an investigation and nothing will make them believe in, in, in the paranormal. A ghost could walk right up to them and slap them in the face and they would find a reason to not believe it. They would find a reason to make what's just happened fit their belief system. And I think that's wrong. Really what we should be doing is taking these experiences, absorbing them, and, and, and flowing, you know, the, the ebb and flow of these experiences might create new theories. They might push you in a new direction. 
And I think that's ultimately what we need to do. And that's what I certainly do. Um, you know, everything I've just discussed, it's just a theory. It's just, they're, they're just thoughts. And I know people that agree with it. And I know people that strongly disagree with it. And that's fine, you know, because it is just a theory. And I've got evidence to back up that theory. But I know people have evidence, you know, to the contrary. And, and, and that's what makes it interesting. I often start my presentations with, if you've come for answers, then you're going to be disappointed because <laughs> I don't have answers and, and no one really does. So that's where that's where we're up to really now. So I'll look at kind of winding this down. It's been about 45 minutes. Um, but before I do close up, close shop and head off, um, I thought I would announce the winner of the book. So the last episode, I encouraged people to send me some evidence, you know, some photos or videos of the paranormal and people did you know i've had several videos i've had some photos sent to me so thank you very much for all of those and um, they were all great um the winner however is nigel lazenby he posted a video on my group on the paranormal paradigm group and it was a fascinating video and it seemed to show a figure at the top of the stairs just walking up the stairs briefly um, it's on the group page, so please do head over to to, to look at that video. Um, when I first watched it, I was thinking, there's nothing there. I can't really see anything. Um, but when I actually sat down and studied it frame by frame, that's when it came about. And I noticed that the shadowy figure, you can see a leg, you can see a head, uh, and it's blocking out the window. And I just thought, what a fantastic piece of evidence. Uh, it got some good interaction on the group. People were, people were commenting and... Um, watching it so a, a, a brilliant video Nigel to be honest and I'd be interested in um, you know potentially talking to you off the record about your experiences there and any experiences you're having in your new house I know you mentioned in one of the comments that you've had a few strange things happen now nothing nothing too bad but maybe it's just the start of something um, and who knows when we're out of this COVID situation um, maybe me and some of the team could come up and, and have a look and maybe have an investigation if that's okay with you. So well done, Nigel. You're the winner of a signed copy of my book. I'll be in contact um, probably before you listen to this to get your address and I'll post that out to you. And lucky to the other people, but they were there were some great videos, some brilliant um, pieces of evidence. Um, so do keep capturing it. Do keep sending it to me. And if you do want to purchase a copy of my book, it is available on Amazon, um, An Introduction to Paranormal Investigation, or just contact me and I'll be happy to send a signed copy to you guys. That wouldn't be a problem. So, yeah, um, thanks for listening. Like I say, sorry it was late. Um, sorry it's just been a 45-minute of me just rambling. Um, but I thought it would be good to kind of get some of my thoughts and theories down. We listen to guests. I interview guests. Um, but, yeah, that was really all about me and uh, your chance to, to learn a bit about myself. So hope you're all keeping well and I hope you're all um, safe during these uncertain times. Um, the group page is there for talking. If anybody wants to reach out to anybody else and just have a chat, um, do feel free to use the Facebook uh, page and the Facebook group. Um, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be about the, the paranormal. If you just want to chat, please do just head out over there and, and have a chat during these times. Um, also, uh, Monday the 8th is going to be my first live show as part of the Keep Keep On Chatting group on Facebook. I put a link of this on the group and on the page. And that's going to be called The Collective Conspiracy Show. 
And it's just a side project of mine where I can get to talk about another passion of mine, which is conspiracies. So that's going to be live 8 till 9 UK time, 8 p.m. till 9 p.m. on the Keep On Chatting group page. The links are on the on the Facebook group page. If you just click it and join the group, you'll be when I go live. Uh, first guest is going to be a guy called Mark, who's coming on. Mark is coming to discuss 9-11 and the um, potential of no-play theory. Um, see how deep we go in an hour. Um, this interview could, could go on for, for hours, really, and, and I do only have the hour. So uh, please be tuned for that. We might have to have a part two. Uh, yeah, that's just a little side project I've got going on, but don't worry. I am as committed as ever to the Paranormal Paradigm podcast. Got several guests lined up. Uh, I do want to get, there's a lady that I tried to get on a while back, but she had some internet connectivity issues. Uh, I would like to get her on to discuss near-death experiences. I think that would be a great show, uh, a great subject that I've always had an interest in. Um, but yeah, until then, and uh, until the next episode, take care, look after yourselves. If you do tune into the live episode of the Collective Conspiracy Show, do let me know, say hi, give the uh, the Paranormal Paradigm podcast a shout out so I know where you've come from that would be great but until next time take care